Hey, today we have finally come to the last parable of Luke chapter 16. Now this parable is not a fun parable to preach because it's one of the most controversial parables in the entire Bible. So we have to handle it with care. So the way we're gonna do this is by reading through half of the parable and then going back to the beginning and breaking it down so we get the bigger picture and then also not miss any of the details along the way. So let's get started. And uh, let's start from verse 18 of Luke chapter 16. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat whatever fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. Now, when I read this parable, I basically created three divisions amongst you guys. The first group of people are the people who'd say, Kotz, are we talking about hell today? Oh, I'm so glad that you're finally tackling this topic because I've been waiting to hear about hell. The second group of people are the group of people who say, oh no, Kotz, are you talking about hell? Because, you know, to be honest with you, I think this is one of the least attractive aspects of Christianity. And today I invited a friend to watch this service with me. Can you please skip over this? Because it makes me feel awkward. And the third category are the people who heard me read this parable and said, Kotz, I don't really get what this parable is about. Can you explain it to me? Now, if you fit into the first two categories, I'm sorry to disappoint you because this parable is not about hell. Jesus wasn't standing there teaching his disciples about what it's going to look like if you die today. We know that that's not what this is about because we've had 2,000 years of scholarship. And in those studies, they discovered seven other variations of this story that predates Jesus. It turns out other rabbis prior to Jesus had been telling these stories and they weren't telling it as fact, they were telling it as a figurative story. These stories are called reversal stories. And what I mean by that is there's a group of people who oppress another group of people, but eventually at the end of the story, the roles reverse. And you can imagine why the Jewish people told these stories over and over and over again. Because from the very beginning of the Jewish story, these people have been oppressed by Egyptians, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greek, the Romans. You can imagine that they would always tell stories of how one day the oppressors are going to be the ones that are, that are oppressed and the people that were oppressed, the Jews, eventually find a place of comfort. Maybe you've been in that situation too, where you feel like you've been treated unfairly and every once in a while you fantasize about the roles reversing, how one day you're going to be the one that's on top and the one that's treated you unfairly are punished. So at this point, you're probably wondering, well, Kotz, if this text isn't about hell, what is it really about? And the way we're going to figure that out is by looking at this text in its original historical context. You see, as Jesus was telling this story, his audience already knew what was going to happen next because it was already a familiar story to them. But as the story progresses, towards the end, Jesus throws in a few twists, a departure from the way the story was originally told. And as he does that, he's drawing his audience's attention to those twists. So before we get there, Let's look at the beginning of the text and see the setup for this story. Let's look at the main characters. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. Now, purple wasn't something that people wore a lot back then because this specific shade of purple 
came from a specific dye that came from a specific shellfish that was extremely hard to find. This is why purple was only worn by rich people and royalty. And it says here that he wore it every day. So Jesus is setting up for us a character who is extremely rich. Now, in the context of the story so far, we know that Jesus is pointing at the religious people, these Pharisees. These Pharisees had a lot of money and they weren't using that to bless the people around them. So let's find out what else we can learn about this rich man. It says that in verse 20, that at his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus who was covered in sores. So right here, right away, we discover something else about this man. You see, in Israel, most homes don't have walls in front of it with a gate. But this man has so much money that with this wealth, he built a wall with a gate, obviously to keep certain people out, and in this story, specifically a man named Lazarus. So this man was super rich, super duper rich. Now this leads us to the second character in this story. His name is Lazarus. And it says here that while the rich man was wearing purple linen, he was wearing sores. This is a stark contrast of how rich this man is and how poor this man is right here. And he longed to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even dogs came to lick his sores. Now at these banquets, before they ate, they usually washed their hands. Usually they use water, but in this case, what he does is that they wet their hands and they take a piece of bread and they wipe their hands on this bread and they drop it to the ground so that one of the animals could come and eat it. Now, of course, this piece of bread is now dirty, but Lazarus was so poor that he was waiting for that bread to fall on the ground so that he could eat it. That's how poor Lazarus was. So in the setting of the story, we have two characters. We have the rich man and we have the poor man. His name is Lazarus. Now there's another detail that Jesus gave us here that you might have missed. I don't know if you caught it, but did you notice that the poor man has a name? His name is Lazarus, and the rich man is not given a name. What does that mean? You see, in the Jewish culture, your name is tied to your identity. This rich man is so rich and dreams about being rich and so obsessed with his wealth that he lost his identity to his wealth. When he goes to sleep at night, he dreams about how he could accumulate more and how to protect the wealth that he already has. So this is the picture that Jesus is painting for us. This is the setting of this parable. There's a rich man who worships wealth so much that he now identifies himself with that money. And here's a person who's so poor, who's, he's willing to eat unclean bread that's fallen on the ground. So let's see what happens next. It says that the time came when the beggar died. So Lazarus dies and the angel carried him to Abraham's side. Now Abraham's side is basically this big banquet that they believe that would happen in the Jewish belief uh, at the end of time. There would be a big party that God throws and the VIP seat would be Abraham because then they believe that Abraham was God's best friend. And the person sitting next to him would be the second most important person. And in this story, Lazarus is sitting there. Now he's not really sitting there because in those days, a luxurious meal would be done reclining on your shoulder. They would recline on one side and they would eat with their right hand. And so of course their body would be sideways. And the next most important person would be right in front of Abraham. And so they call that Abraham's side. So Jesus in this story is describing for us this, this story where we have Lazarus, who is the poorest person in town who suffered the most and is now sitting at the most important seat next to Abraham. Now in contrast, Jesus points out what happens to the rich man. This is what he says. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip 
the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. Now there's two things I want to draw your attention to because this is very important. The first thing is the rich man makes a request to Abraham, but the request is not, please get me out of here. He knows that he deserves to be there and that he's stuck there because that's where he needs to be. And the second thing that we need to notice here is that the first request that the rich man makes is he's telling Lazarus what to do. It's as if he hasn't learned his lesson. He thinks that he's still above Lazarus. So we see that he hasn't changed at all. So let's move on to the next part of the story. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross from over there to us. Now this is where we really need to pay attention to the details. You see this big chasm that lies between the rich man and Lazarus was not created by God. And we know this because in the very beginning of the story, it was him, it was a rich man who created the, the big division between himself and the poor people. You see, when the rich man was still alive, he created a wall with a gate so that he doesn't have to look at people like Lazarus. He was the one that created the big wall, the big divide. He's the one that drew the line between the rich and the poor. And so when he died, he realized that wall that he created while he was still alive has turned into a great chasm. It was the rich man who created the big chasm between him and the poor. So as you can tell, this parable is really not about what it looks like after we die or a description of what hell is like. This is a parable, really a warning about what life could be like, the disaster and the chaos we're creating by drawing fake lines between us and the people who might be poorer than we are. And the reason we know this is because of the placement of this parable in the entire book of Luke. So if you go back a chapter in Luke chapter 15, there's three parables there. The first parable is called the parable of the lost sheep. There Jesus is teaching the Pharisees. He's saying, you Pharisees, you bullied this one sheep out of your group, hoping that the shepherd would stick around taking care of the 99. But lo and behold, the shepherd went chasing after the one, forsaking the 99. That's Jesus' way of saying, you Pharisees, you thought God would stick with you because you have dominance over the people you just ousted? No, he's going to go chase after the one because God finds value in that one lost sheep. And the second parable of Luke chapter 15 is the parable of the lost coin. The woman has 10 coins, one coin she loses. Now, while everybody else says, you still have nine coins, why do you have to look for that one extra coin? The woman says, that one coin has special value to me. That's Jesus' way of saying, you Pharisees, you thought that because I lost one coin, I would not care about it? Like, no, 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 that one coin has special value to me. So I'm gonna turn the house upside down until I find that one coin. And when I find it, I'm gonna rejoice with my friends. And then the third parable is the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son. In this story, the young son takes everything that he has, goes out and spends it in rebellion, comes home because he realized that he did the wrong thing. The father runs to him, greets him, and throws a big banquet for him. The older son, being concerned about his own inheritance, his own wealth, he cannot even come in and celebrate a lost son that is now found. And all of this because the older brother only cares about his own wealth. Then we move over to Luke chapter 16. And in this chapter, Jesus gives another parable, basically saying, hey, you Pharisees, you guys are supposed to be the people of the light. So why is it that I feel that 
even a shrewd manager is going to eventually figure out that friendship is more important than money, whereas you haven't figured it out yet. Like, I expected so much more from you. And then after that, Jesus says, I've given you so many gifts so that you could go and bless the people who needed it. But instead, you fell in love with the gifts I gave you, and now you worship wealth over me. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. And then in this parable, Jesus says, because you chose money over me, you are now digging your own grave. You're expecting to have a big reward at the end of your life, but that's not coming your way because you have mistreated the people around you with the wealth that I've given you. In essence, Jesus is saying, one day you're going to ask, how did I end up in this grave? And the only person you could point your finger to is yourself. Now, remember how I said that Jesus threw in a few twists into this well-known folklore? Well, we're coming to that right now. Verse 27. The rich man, he answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. And so the rich man makes a request. He says, Abraham, send Lazarus up there and warn my five brothers because I don't want them to come here. And Abraham's answer is no. They have Moses and the prophets. That's code for Old Testament. Because you worship wealth so much, when you look at the scriptures, you're not looking at it with God's eyes. You're looking at it with eyes of greed. And because of that, you miss the parts in the Bible that talk about how to spend your wealth to take care of the people who need it the most. But the next verse is the biggest twist. He says this, No, Father Abraham, the rich man said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. The rich man is basically saying, look, it's not that hard to convince my brothers. Just send a person who was dead and bring him back to life and they will listen to every word he has to say. But listen to what Abraham says here. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, the Old Testament, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Now this is a nod to Jesus' resurrection. He's saying, one day I am going to die and three days later I'm going to come back from the grave. And guess what? Not even that resurrection act is going to convince you to take care of these people. He's saying that your greed is so big and it's going to blind you so much that not even me dying and coming back from the grave is going to convince you to change your life. Now, I know in many circles of Christianity, we talk about how the greatest opponent of God or the biggest hindrance to getting to God is the devil. But according to this verse, this parable, and many other verses found in the Gospels, Jesus says over and over and over again that the greatest hindrance to God is often our attachment to wealth, our worship of money, that our hunger for money and the pursuit of it sometimes outweighs even the resurrection. And Jesus says, that is a scary thought. If you're going to chase after money, be careful because you're digging your own grave. Has your love and pursuit for a comfortable life, has your wealth, drawn a line between you and a person who is less fortunate? Have you created walls around you so that you could pretend not to see the Lazaruses in your life? God is saying that he placed his image in you, but he also placed the same image of God in the Lazaruses in our lives. And to draw a line between us and Lazarus is the same thing as saying, I'm going to draw a line between me and God. Pushing the Lazaruses away from us is the first step in pushing God away from our own lives. And Jesus is warning us, 
please don't do that. The things I've gifted you with, the wealth and the fortune that you have right now, is given to you so that you could help the people like Lazarus in our lives. Now, I know this is not a happy message. In a way, talking about hell might have been easier, but this is really a plea from God saying, keep in mind that the things that you have in your life, the things that make you comfortable, is not just for you. It's meant for the people around you as well. And so he's pleading, please do what you can to share with the people around you. Now, in closing, I just want to make one last point. I know that I'm probably preaching to the choir because I've heard stories of you who, with the little you have, when you're trying to make your own ends meet, you've been generous with what you have. Now, I want to remind you that when Jesus told this story, he was not just telling it to the religious people, but he was also telling it to the people who were poor. And this is basically Jesus' way of saying, for you rich people, this is a warning. But this is also a warning to the people who don't have much, because one day, when you do experience that reversal of roles, when one day you do have plenty, I don't want you to forget. I don't want you to become like them. So Jesus is telling them, it's best to put these practices of generosity now so that when you start to accumulate more and more, you won't become like them. Ultimately, what Jesus is saying is this, whether if you have little or a lot, I want you to be a representation of me wherever you are, whatever state you're in, because that's how we're going to experience heaven together. So, brothers and sisters, may God continue to open your eyes so that we're no longer blind to the Lazaruses in our lives. And may God continue to be the focus of our worship and not the things that God has blessed us with. And through all that, may we continue to experience heaven together. God bless you and stay safe.